Good day and thanks so much for joining us on a frank conversation. We're talking about weight, maybe not in the traditional sense, but we're talking about the mental mass we carry around. And to help me with this conversation, I'm joined by Sierra Hillsman, a licensed counselor who specializes in trauma and grief adjustment. Also, Carmela Hill. Oh, Carmela gives her time, talents, and treasures in many ways, but of late, that's been given to her family. She'll explain here momentarily. Hello, ladies. Hello. How's everybody doing? Well, thank you. Good deal. Good deal. Thank you for joining me. And you know, I want to point out to people before we dive too deeply into this, this is not a therapy session, right? But rather a conversation that highlights the importance of self-care. So so we want to make sure we make that clear to everyone. Um, although, you know, we're going to have great bits of advice that maybe you can take and, and work into your, your daily movements. Um, and Carmela, I, I, I'll jump right in with you. What has this past year looked like? for you in short? Ooh, um, I would say it has had a lot of the ups and downs of life, but it was truly exasperated by uh, the pandemic and knowing that you have your normal stresses that happen that are just uh, life's traumas and crisis that you go through, but then having something right smack dab in the middle that there's no roadmap as to how to handle. And you have to really dig deep into um, who you are and find how you will manage and care for things. So just in short, I had a lot of uh, loss at the very beginning of the year, right before the world shut down, I was dealing with health issues, diagnosed with fibromyalgia and just really going on a, a journey to get through chronic pain um, in the midst of that. I really claimed self-care as a practice. Um, during the self-care practices, I had some realizations of things that weren't serving me well and my 14-year relationship ended. Um, so that during a pandemic, trying to find new housing and things like that, when you can't even go in and see places and you know, uh, we were just quarantined. Um, and then even, uh, shifting employment and uh, you know I was working for myself just really having to have every every area of my life touched um, and then finally once I did get settled into my new place my daughter who was 30 passed away she had a major heart attack she has three children and I am now raising them they are eight six and four and that happened in December and ended my year so now I'm six months into raising them and a uh a guru at self-care because I've got to prioritize myself so that my mental health throughout all of those different transitions that also cause trauma did not take me out. You're bringing something to the table that many people uh, aren't really aware of. And that is just the fact that you are in tune with the, the notion that self-care is something that you don't want to neglect. I'm hearing here uh, health issues with fibromyalgia relationship, personal relationship ended, housing. Again, just to reiterate, you could not go into places as social distancing uh, is and was a premium at that time, a job transition. And then you lose your daughter and you're caring for 
three children all under the age of 10. Um, Sierra, you, you see these types of situations and uh, no roadmap is what Carmela says here, right? So really uncharted territory for everyone when it comes to the pandemic. But when you, you couple all of that with this, this being Carmela's struggle that she's dealing with, how, how does one even put one foot in front of the other? Definitely. So Juan Carmela, thank you so much for uh, utilizing this space to talk about all of your experiences, because I believe each and every individual has experienced some form of loss in some way, shape, form, and another. And so first off, expanding our idea of loss. Oftentimes when we think about grief, we're only focusing on the loss of an actual person, but grief can be manifested in the loss of opportunity, the loss of time, the loss of connection, the loss of like jobs and things of that nature. And it's important for us to look at those things because sometimes we can experience disenfranchised grief where we're told that whatever we're experiencing, that loss doesn't matter in relation to the loss of a physical person. Um, so like the loss of a pet, you'll get another one or a divorce, you'll find another partner. It's okay. Or the loss of a job. Yeah. You can just go on to Indeed and find another job. But all of those losses impact us, especially as we are dealing with them in a domino effect. I see a lot of individuals struggling with dealing with that compiled grief, especially in the pandemic, right? So the loss of that connection with your coworkers because you're no longer working in the same space as before. Maybe even the loss of time or the loss of boundaries because my work is overflowing into like my personal life and I don't know where to put the hard stops at. And so right. one, the number one thing that Carmela mentioned was self-awareness, being aware of these losses and how they impact us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, as well as behaviorally. That's what the emphasis of grief is, is about because there's a difference between mourning, grief, and bereavement. Bereavement is the actual time after the loss the physical time, and then grief is how it actually impacts the individual. And then mourning is more of like the outward expression of that particular loss. And that can look different socially, culturally, collectively. So those are a couple of things that we can start off with when we're talking about the concept of grief. I'm so glad you broke it down like that. Mourning, grief, and bereavement. And, and I'd be so remiss if I didn't ask this, Carmela. How are you doing? How are you doing right now? Well, um, it's a day-by-day day, uh, battle. I am aware of triggers. Um, I, I literally use therapy as a way of life. I have a therapeutic appointment that is my godsend, that is my self-care to me and my priority uh, every week, once a week for an hour. And I shifted my therapist because um, I have always you know, used therapy and counseling as a way of life, but I wanted someone who was um, African-American who could identify with the struggle that I was having from a cultural perspective so that I didn't have to take up my much uh, needed time explaining to someone my experience and how I process grief and what it was that I needed. So my therapy sessions, um, you know, really dive into the behaviors that don't serve me as well as giving myself grace. Like I said, there was no roadmap and I wanted to, being the A type personality, when is this morning part gonna stop? When am I gonna be able to get back to normal to where I can function and things like that? 
but um, I've been able to really practice and build up my muscle of giving myself grace and being okay with not being okay when those moments come. For instance, I was outside with the kids in the driveway and we were riding bikes and different things like that. And I put down a picnic blanket and it took me and triggered me back to when my children were little, I raised them as a single parent for years by myself. And we used to do picnics and I was outside in the driveway, literally in my neighborhood, wailing and crying, just crying. I didn't know that that was going to happen. I allowed myself the space and the grace to cry outside in the neighborhood just for a little bit, regardless of what it looked like to allow that overwhelming part of the emotions to come and pass through me so that I could then not fight it, but then show my kids, hey, you know what? When this happens, honor it. Don't try to stuff your emotions down because then it'll show up in your behaviors in other ways, like me getting angry and impatient and snapping off at them. No, I showed them this is normal. It is normal when you lose my daughter, your mother, that a moment might trigger you and you just will lose it. And I'm here for you as a safe landing. So I've made every part of my life from my friendship base, from my family, from the way my home is and the colors in my home, a safe landing so that when morning comes up, I can allow it to pass through in a way that I give myself grace. And then I can get back into functioning and handling the business of life. Do you feel like you're walking on eggshells with yourself? Because you don't know where all those triggers are going to come from. You never expected that. I was at first, but I'm I'm practicing and I'm getting better at it. It's just like going to the gym and exercising that muscle. At first, you don't know how to work at all. But through my therapist and the tools that they're giving me, um, I am more self-aware at the beginning of it, uh, right when the trigger is happening to say, oh, this is this and oh, I can kind of give myself a gauge to see where I am and my ability to manage it and um, get through it. Sierra, um, there was a reflexive response that you and I shared when she said, when Carmela said, I wanted to find an African-American therapist. Now, there are many people that I've encountered who say, Frank, quote, why you gotta make it about race? Why must everything be about race? And my response is often, I don't make it about race. Race often makes it about me. There's not a corner that is not littered with some form of racism where we live, right? So um, Carmela touched upon this, not having to waste time explaining something to someone who's culturally incompetent. That definitely strips away a lot of wasted movement and just kind of getting to the core of what's going on with someone, especially for Carmela as an African-American woman, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so, you know, July is BIPOC Mental Health Month, and I love talking about the importance of multiculturally competent clinicians. And I do want to add a caveat, just because an individual may share the same skin color as you, that does not guarantee that they are multiculturally competent. Mm -hmm. And so one, we understand that one in five U.S. adult Americans struggle with some form of mental health concern, but African Americans experience mental health concerns 20% more due to risk factors such as um, 
impoverished communities, a lack of resources, the inability to be able to find a therapist that shares their experience, things of that nature. And so it's important for us to be mindful of these barriers to treatment and finding ways to not only find equality in the mental health space, but also equity in the mental health space. So Carmela, I honor you for being intentional about your needs, especially when we're talking about the hierarchy of needs, finding an individual that makes you feel safe who is going to build that therapeutic rapport and also make the necessary adjustments to meet your therapeutic needs. That's so important. I'll tell you, I have um, added during the health challenges that I experienced in the beginning, I added and switched, to, switched a little bit of my spiritual practices. I truly am a believer and a Christian, but I added meditation and yoga and I added something that would help me. Frank, you asked about being in tune with those things, it helped me to be more introspective. And my therapist, thankfully, the universe just allowed it to align to where those are her same practices as well. So even being able to talk about the type of tools that I needed with meditation and the types of books and the type of things that would help me, music and things that you know really, really help to um, calm the storm of emotions that would just truly uh, rise up and overflow at times. Uh, it was just very nice to have a therapist who gave me the tools and the understanding that really met my needs, even spiritually. That is huge. That is huge. And I thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and you really uh, struck a chord there, Sierra, when you said just because a person looks like you doesn't necessarily mean in short that they can relate to your right. circumstances or your plight. I hate to refer to it as a caseload because I feel like that's really void of humanity, Sierra, but the folks that you're tending to, have you seen that increase over the last year or so specifically because of the pandemic? Yes, I've seen uh, not necessarily an increase of my caseload, but I've seen a lot of shifts in relation to the presenting concerns. So typically like things like depression or anxiety, or maybe even like on the more severe end, like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, um, some of their symptoms have exacerbated. But the thing about it is though, like with us living in the United States, there are a number of other factors that we have to consider. So we were dealing with the pandemic. We were also dealing with, you know, um, political unrest. We were also dealing with social justice issues. Yeah, and yeah. so we have to think about this from a holistic perspective, understanding that um, when we're dealing with one issue, we're also dealing with many other issues. And we have to be cognizant of how all of those things are, in, are, are interacting with one another, both externally and internally as well. I appreciate what Carmela was talking about in terms of the triggers because immediately I thought about a crisis safety plan. Typically individuals do crisis safety plans during times of suicidal or homicidal ideations. If you are thinking about harming yourself or ending your life or harming other people. And so the first thing is to identify your triggers, right? What are the things that cause emotional distress? Yeah. And then your warning signs. How do you respond when those moments of distress occur, right? And not only physically, whether it's tension in the shoulders or maybe even migraines or upset stomach or diarrhea, whatever, but how are you responding emotionally? Are you withdrawing? Are you isolating? Are you uh, feeling as though you can't do your activities of daily living? So how does that show up for you? Then after that, identifying specific tasks or activities or hobbies that not only ground you, but give you some sense of fulfillment or a sense of enjoyment, whether it's 
riding a bike or maybe even having that picnic or maybe going out to eat with a friend or taking some time out to just listen to meditation music or have a candle blowing in the background. And then lastly, um, no, not lastly, but the, another additional thing to consider as well is your social support. And we understand that social support shows up in two ways. We have our instrumental support and we have our emotional support. Emotional support are those individuals that are going to hold space for us. They're going to actively listen or maybe even not say anything at all, but simply their presence sitting next to us or giving us a hug with consent. That is a way to show emotional support. And then you have instrumental support, those individuals who can provide you with maybe favors or do like little tasks around the house. If you can't get out of bed, maybe they'll come over and cook for you. Or maybe if you don't have the mental capacity to take the kids to the park, they'll just, you know, take them up the street or take them to the store really quickly while you get yourself together. And then the next thing is to root you, to ground you, is that sense of meaning. What gives you meaning to live? What keeps you going? What reminds you of your sense of purpose? purpose, reminds you of like why you should continue to move forward in this life. And those are things that we can consider when we're trying to build resiliency when we're hit with the storm of loss or grief. Carmela, did you find that you were maybe vacillating uh, between the different phases of grief? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And those were the things that having my therapist and giving me an understanding of what was going on with me. You, you might be out of this, but then you think you're good and then and then all of a sudden you're back in. Absolutely. And she was able to, we were able to really truly look through all of the different life transitions that were causing grief that at any moment in time, depending on a trigger, I could be um, dealing with the relationship, the loss of relationship grief or the loss of what my life looked like before having to take on kids because as a 51 year old woman who my kids are grown, I'm having to take on young children again. And so some of that loss of freedom um, or even the loss of my health that I had that was very, very vibrant that I'm now trying to you know, re-gauge and monitor through. So there were so many things that we were able to talk about to help me to be able to say, hey, again, give yourself grace. This is I love Sierra, how you talked about that crisis plan because we started that we started with please know and be proactive and not the reactive part is going to come because of the trigger but let's be proactive and find out what is triggering you and and how you're going to manage it and put a plan in place for safety for how you're going to get through those things so first and foremost holidays all of these holidays are my first without my daughter and my first with a different lifestyle. So Christmas, of course, I had a huge family around, but then our birthdays were January, February, March, and the kids' birthdays without them and without their mom and my birthdays. And then even her birthday in March took me out. I mean, I was just like, whoa. And so right around that time when I was like right in the middle of navigating three months worth of holidays, we had to come up with that plan. How are we going to deal with this going forward? Because it's going to keep happening. You got a whole rest of the year of holidays. How are you going to handle that and put those things in place to where when I uh, need help, I cry uncle. I send a text to my girlfriend group or text my family and someone will come and do like you said, Sierra, come grab the kids for me. I've had several friends that have had a meal service sent to me just so that I don't have to 
to cook or when people ask during loss, how can I help? Sometimes that's overwhelming. And I asked a friend who also has a therapeutic background, can you write down a list of things that would be helpful for me? Don't put it on me to tell you how to help me when I'm trying to figure out how to help myself. Yes, that I am so glad you said that. I am so glad you said that because that just that makes the burden even heavier. So you want folks to to cook for you, Carmela. So I should we, we should send some old school syrup sandwiches your way. Is that going to work? <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> two things. Two things. There's no way you're in your fifties. I'm fifty. Refuse to believe it. And what do those babies call you? Mimi, because my mom is grandma. I said, don't call me grand anything. I am Mimi. Mimi, I love it. Um, well, you know, tell me this, Sierra. Um, what does healing look like? And also, what if you see a loved one in the throes of, of struggle right about now? I mean, you don't want to come off as self-serving by saying you might need help because that's insulting sometimes. Definitely. So one, challenging the way you see grief, right? Just because you grieve one way doesn't mean that you have the right to impose your approach onto other people. And also making sure that you're not minimizing another person's experience creating space to listen. And when I say listen, not only listening with the words, but also listening with the paralinguistics, the things that they may not even say, right? Because oftentimes, especially as people of color, we often say, oh, I'm fine, I'm good. Carmela mentioned, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to even identify what I need in this moment. And so I'm just gonna allow you to do whatever it is that you see fit. And so uh, finding ways to be of service in the gap. Um, and not putting that pressure on the other individual to always provide a response. Another thing too is making sure that you're connecting them with the necessary resources. So helping them do the research, asking what are you looking for in a therapist or what are some activities that you enjoy that we could potentially do together? Or if you need something, what can I send your way? Carmela has an amazing network who is willing to step in and fill those gaps. And so identifying, once again, that social support that can provide the necessary tools and resources. Another thing to consider, too, is being mindful of how loss looks different for everybody, because loss can be impacted based upon the relationship with that thing, how close these losses have occurred amongst one another, the number of losses that have taken place within a specific time frame, and then also the cultural aspect in relation to loss. Like we talked about, mourning looks different culturally for a lot of individuals. Like for example, if you go down to New Orleans, you have the second line band going behind the procession, but then you have like maybe somebody out in the Midwest in a Baptist church wearing all black and wanting to be silent. And so understanding, like, we need to look at grief from a holistic perspective. And, and embrace that, and embrace that. You know what? Um, I, we, we don't have much time left, but I, all this information is, oh, my gosh, it is, it is much needed. Um, I love the fact that you said take the initiative and just start offering to do things rather than both of you than, than asking. So what, what else you need, right? Because that's kind of how it sounds when you're in the throes of struggles. For me, and I, I think it would be just completely unfair for Carmela to have all this self-disclosure and I share nothing. I'm just the one asking all these questions. But I, I can say this. Um, trauma for me, it, it appears um, 
it happens and I feel nothing. It doesn't start throbbing until much later. Mm -hmm. I think I'm fine. And then we fast forward a few hours or even a few days and then it's like, wait, what just happened? What is that? Yeah, definitely. So um, it's your, just your unique response. Like you mentioned, it's, it's different for everyone. It's so funny that you brought up trauma because it's the same way with grief or any other emotion. For some individuals, they're logical in nature. So they're processing these instances based upon the facts, what they're able to conceptualize, whereas other individuals, they process things from an emotional perspective, how they feel in that moment, how that's impacting them. And so one thing, like we mentioned, is being honest, open, and willing when it comes to dealing with all these mental health concerns, being honest with where you're at, being open enough to be able to have a different point of view, and also being willing to adjust accordingly. Some of us have lost people who have transitioned in life and others, we've lost people who are still living, who are still breathing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that's been difficult in the midst of this pandemic as well. Um, but you're on the men, Carmela. And and I know Mimi is 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 doing her thing. <laughs> Mimi is um, doing the best I can to live my best life, uh, as well as raise kids to be an example for them to do the same. I think that was something that uh, this do-over has allowed me. It's allowed me to shift some practices and things that I didn't know. I wasn't aware of while I was raising my children. So I can raise my babies to be a lot more emotionally intelligent, to have the tools so that while they're in school and dealing with all of the things we do deal with bullying and self-esteem and things like that, they'll have a better sense of emotional awareness and intelligence and tools to handle trauma, crisis, grief, stress, uh, just because of the way that I'm managing and living this out in front of them. No doubt. Well, Sierra, if you could leave our friends with something uh, to help them along their journey, if it's just one thought, if it's a couple thoughts, hit them with it. So I want to piggyback with what Carmela mentioned, because our healing is so revolutionary. When you start to do the work that pours into other areas of your life, the fact that you're able to be, um, be able to articulate how you're feeling in that moment, that is just simply amazing. So understand that just like pain uh, can impact another individual, your healing can impact the lives of other individuals from generation to generation. So continue to work on you and your light will continue to shine as you continue to focus on your own personal healing. I was going to ask you what healing looked like, but all folks need to do is just take a look at that smile that Carmela's flashing us right there. I, I would like to look at it as the light. I look at um, everybody when a light shines on you, you have that brightness of you, but then you also have the shadow that's behind you. And the shadow should remind you that there are always areas that the light can illuminate that are areas that you just need some assistance with. That you may always carry with you, whether it be behaviors or what, and you figure out that roadmap of how and what behaviors serve you so that you can get healing. No doubt. Well, Sierra Hillsman, thank you so much for your time. Mimi, thank you so much for your time. And I thank, thank all of you for listening in on this conversation. Hopefully it helps you out along your journey. And until next time, have a good one.